This interview series is brought to you by the IIEA as part of our Global Europe project. Hello, my name is Leanne Digny and I am a researcher at the Institute of International and European Affairs, the IIEA here in Dublin. I am delighted to be hosting an interview today as part of the IIEA's Global Europe project, supported by the Department of Foreign Affairs, which aims to address, analyze and communicate to the wider public the EU's role in the world and Ireland's role in the multilateral order. A particular priority of the Global Europe project is Ireland's term as an elected member of the United Nations Security Council, which began in January 2021 and will conclude at the end of this month, December 2022. I'm very pleased to be joined today by two colleagues from the Department of Foreign Affairs who have been pivotal to Ireland's success on the Security Council. Ms. Sonia Highland, Deputy Secretary General and Political Director, and Elizabeth McCullough, UN Policy Director and Director of the UN Security Council Task Team. So Sonia, the first question I'd like to ask is, could you briefly describe the division of roles in terms of what are the different responsibilities of colleagues at headquarters and colleagues at the permanent mission to the UN in New York during the Security Council term? Thanks, uh, Leanne, and thanks for um, having us uh, for this podcast. I think the best way to describe it, I suppose, is that in a way, the headquarters gives the overall strategic direction. So there's um, um, 20 three uh, country files and 22 thematic files on the council, something along those lines. So a huge, a huge number of issues um, get discussed at the council, well over 40 issues get discussed at the council on an ongoing basis. And each of those issues have their own uh, areas of contention, have their own geopolitics around them, have their own areas of sensitivity, are feasible or not feasible to move along um, in terms of trying to, for Ireland, trying to get uh, movement in the right direction and, and towards the direction of the sort of policy priorities that we have. So in relation to each one of those, I think any country that goes on to the Security Council has to think, what's our overall strategic objective? What are we trying to aim for here? What are the geopolitical difficulties? Where are the, the pitfalls? Where are the difficulties? Who do we need to talk to on and off the Council? Because often you're talking to countries who are not members of the Council, but who have significant um, influence or, or impact on those countries um, or on the issue at hand. So that's very much what headquarters does. And that's also very much, I think, linked in with the minister's role and the minister's own engagement on it, because obviously I can talk to my counterpart in the foreign ministry in Tehran or in Paris or in Washington. Elizabeth can talk to hers. But, you know, the moment that you really can get your message across on a very senior level about the big geopolitics of some of these files are minister to minister contacts. So that's our bit of it. New York obviously then is very much the tactics. So in terms of how the resolutions are negotiated, what you need to, to push, what do, you, what do you need to cede at a certain time, um, where, where is the compromise likely to be on any given issue, on any particular type of language in a resolution, uh, what are the dynamics around the council table, who is blocking something in relation to Libya, not because they care about Libya, but because they care about Colombia and they're trying to block one thing to get something off somebody else. That's very much New York's role. Um, and I think in terms of the public diplomacy part as well, it's very much the minister when you're talking about Dublin and when you're Ireland and when you're talking about um, the rest of the world. But then I think in terms of the day to day, there's a big public diplomacy part that is done by New York in New York because it's, it's the ambassador in New York who comes out of the Security Council after a, 
you know, marathon negotiation and there's the press and explaining to the press what it is we're trying to do, what the Security Council has achieved, what Ireland's trying to achieve. That's a really important role as well as the negotiation and as well as getting things uh, across the line. And then I think both sides have to do the relationship building. So obviously New York does the relationship building with the other ambassadors in the Security Council, with the UN system, uh, and HQ has to do the relationship building with um, both sort of the capital levels, um, that's a ministerial level or a senior official level, and of course as well, really importantly, um, relationship building and continued engagement on policy development with the Oireachtas, with the Irish public, with um, media stakeholders, with uh, civil society stakeholders, with academics, with think tanks, all of that sort of ecosystem of people. That's sort of broad brush how I would describe the difference. Okay, brilliant. So in terms then of the, the role of HQ, um, Elizabeth, could you comment further on what specific contributions do other units within the department or indeed, as you mentioned, Sonia, um, Irish embassies abroad make to the work of the Security Council? Sure, thanks very much, Leanne. Um, well, Sonia has laid out there, I think, very, very neatly the, the kind of the division between uh, what the colleagues in New York are doing and the colleagues at HQ. But of course, at HQ itself, then there's a very broad range of people. And as you said, uh, a lot of different units. And then, of course, we have all of our missions overseas. And um, I think it's true to say that our engagement on the Security Council has involved everyone right across the department, both at HQ New York and then right across our mission network as well. Um, I mean, in terms of how we actually operate, uh, we have uh, what's called our UN Security Council task team, which was formed specifically for the duration of our time on the council. Um, it's a fairly small team of people. There's 11 of us um, in, in the task team. And I suppose we're kind of the, the nerve control center of um, operations, but in very regular and constant engagement with everyone right across the department. Um, so we liaise with all of the other units, you know, depending on the item that's under discussion, as Anya said, there's 45 items uh, that are discussed um, on the Security Council during our two years. You know, there's a very wide number of peacekeeping operations, the renewals for those resolutions, PRSTs and so on. So we're liaising constantly and very closely with, um, with all of the other units uh, across the department, whether that's in political division, on the development side, of course, which is very important as well, in EU division as well, um, and uh, with colleagues in our legal division as well, and then with a range of other colleagues right across the board, depending on, on the issue. So we'd be liaising on our approach to the meetings overall, on our input to the, the, the instructions for what we will be saying at each and every one of those meetings, um, for the parameters for negotiations then, for resolutions and presidential statements and so on, and for the renewals of the mandates for peacekeeping operations and uh, special political missions as well. Um, we have a whole structure in place whereby we have um, kind of methods for, for getting instructions back and forth, and we have very specific timelines for those as well. There's a lot of um, VCs, as you can imagine, video conferences with all of the colleagues involved, but we try to take care, and I think we have managed to do that very successfully, um, that we reflect all the different perspectives in what we're saying at the Council. So, 
For example, you know, if you were to take um, our approach to the negotiations around the peacekeeping mandate renewal for UNIFIL in Lebanon, for example, you know, for that, we would be um, liaising with um, um, the various units right across our political division, including our security policy division, our Middle East division uh, unit, obviously, um, our unit that um, has oversight of the women, peace and security agenda, because we always want to make sure that that's properly reflected, um, our development cooperation division because of the climate related aspects and so on, and then our embassy in Cairo and um, other embassies that, that, that would have a vested um, interest in that as well. So we'd be liaising with all of those, and then we're always in very close contact with, um, with all of our missions that are either permanent members of the council, so Paris, Washington, um, London in particular, and then also embassies that are accredited to the other elected members too. Uh, so it's a kind of ongoing, very intensive, right across the department engage engagement on, on all of the issues. So going outside of the department then, is there a lot of cross-departmental engagement on the various Security Council files and how do you and, and, and the team work on that? Yes, uh, yeah, there is. There's a lot of engagement with other government departments. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to say that our time on the council has been very much a whole of government um, exercise. Um, the minister, obviously, Minister Coveney, has, um, has been very, very active on it and, uh, you know, has travelled a lot to, to some of the areas that are on the Security Council's agenda, has had a lot of engagement with his um, counterparts in other countries um, that are on the agenda of the council um, and then also government departments themselves we would have uh, a lot of engagement with them there was actually an interdepartmental security council group set up um, you know prior to our time on the council so we have uh, regular meetings with that group um, and we update them on what's happening on the council um, there's, you know, a space for discussion around some of the items. We often focus on particular items that are of particular um, interest. We'd have particularly close cooperation, of course, with the Department of Defence and the Defence Forces. So they're very closely involved in the preparatory work that we do around the renewal of peacekeeping operations in particular. So we have a very structured kind of um, system of, of engagements uh, between uh, colleagues here in this department, the Defence Forces, the Department of Defence, colleagues in New York and so on, uh, that takes place at a set period of time in advance of, of each of the mandate renewals. So the Department of Defence and Defence Forces are particularly closely involved in that. But we would have had involvement with a lot of other departments too, um, particularly on some of the thematic issues. Um, as you know, we've been, um, you know, very... Uh, more than closely involved, I'd say, in kind of leading uh, a leading role on a lot of the thematic issues, such as the women, peace and security agenda, and then also on conflict and hunger. Um, but the climate and security agenda has been very important. And you're probably aware we did a lot of work on that last year, uh, brought a resolution to the table and so on on that. So we would, of course, have had very close involvement with other government departments, uh, Department of deck as we like to call them um, on that and other government departments as well. Great um, so you, you've just mentioned there and, and it's been very clear for the last two years that Ireland has taken a lead 
on a lot of issues um, that are on the council. And, and you've also mentioned that there are 40 to 45 issues which are discussed at the council. So I'm just wondering, uh, maybe Sonia, you could comment on how did Ireland actually go about picking its priorities for its term? So I think I, I, I would sort of separate it into two there. I think we did two different things. One was try and identify our sort of core principles and the key principles which we would try and progress and try and support and try and push across you know, all of the agenda items or as, you know, any of the agenda items where they were relevant. Um, and those three principles were very broad brush, building peace, strengthening conflict prevention and ensuring accountability. And those were really came out of both Ireland's foreign policy um, priorities and values, but also the mandate of the council because the council is mandated under the UN charter for the maintenance of international peace and security. So our sense was a, the maintenance of international peace and security, that building peace. And you do that in all sorts of ways, including obviously peacekeeping as a core role that the council mandates all the peacekeeping missions. Um, preventing and, and looking at conflict prevention is also a vital part of the Council's role because if you're going to maintain international peace and security, you have to invest in preventing uh, conflict in the first place. And then the accountability part is also very important because the Council is the body that can um, refer cases to the International Criminal Court, cases of crimes against humanity, uh, war crimes and so on. And also just has a wider accountability role because it has also the responsibility for imposing sanctions uh, when there are sort of serious violations um, of the UN Charter uh, or, for instance, arms embargoes where there's a significant conflict. So those three areas, I suppose, came very much organically in a way out of our foreign policy and out of the Council's mandate. And we put those things together. Th those those three principles um, came out, I think, as, as the core principles that we wanted to try and um, progress. And then in terms of the specific roles, um, there's a number of different roles that when you're an elected member, you're coming in with five other elected members, and there's a number of roles that are sort of there for elected members to potentially take on. So for instance, the Syria humanitarian file, we were responsible with Norway for co-chairing or for co-penholding um, that resolution. And that's a resolution that basically allows for aid to be delivered into Northwest Syria. The reason you need a Security Council resolution for that is because the Syrian government don't uh, accept that or support that. And so you have to essentially override their objection to that uh, through a Security Council resolution. Um, and so we wanted to take that on because we knew that this was an issue that really spoke to all the things that Ireland a from a principles perspective wants to do and b from a sort of foreign policy day-to-day -day perspective that we are good at and we know how to do and we focused on humanitarian aid humanitarian access international humanitarian law issues um you know coordination with other countries and with other stakeholders with ngos with with un agencies to try and support extremely vulnerable people who are who are essentially in that situation because of the international community's inability to resolve conflict and because of what's happened in Syria and, and again the inability of the Security Council and the international community to resolve the political and accountability issues behind that. So that was an obvious one that we wanted to take on um, we didn't have a huge amount of competition because very few people wanted to take that on because they felt that it could be something that failed and, and that um, the 2021-2022 period of time might be the time where we were unable to get that mandate over the line, but we felt that we had something to offer there and that we could really, I suppose, show show um, that we're, I guess, show that we put our money where our mouth is in a way that 
um, when we're faced with a really difficult situation in terms of humanitarian support, humanitarian access, international humanitarian law issues, that where we are given the opportunity to take responsibility for that, then we want to step up. Similarly, for the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear file, Again, Ireland has championed disarmament and non-proliferation issues for decades. Um, so for us, and again, that was a file that very few people wanted to take on. When we were elected, it was still during the Trump administration and the US had unilaterally withdrawn from the JCPOA. They had no interest in going back in. But we just felt that this is something that this is an opportunity for Ireland to try and do our best to support and facilitate um, that agreement and, and the parties going back into that agreement um, because nuclear non-proliferation is sort of at the heart of who we are as a country and what we've been trying to do internationally for so long. Um, and then on women, peace and security and on climate and security, again, we co-chaired the working groups of the council on both those issues, one with Mexico, that was with uh, women, peace and security, and then with Niger for climate and security. And again, those two issues are fundamentally important issues in Irish foreign policy. WPS we have championed for a long time, and we've sort of become known, I think, for that in, internationally as an issue that Ireland really champions on and engages on and, and, and really tries to understand and support. And similarly, climate and security uh, is, is very much sort of at the heart of our foreign policy and all issues to do with climate, I suppose, are at the heart of our foreign policy. So we, again, we sort of grabbed those along with Mexico, <laughs> with Niger. So we, we, we had quite a maximalist approach to try and getting, getting as many um, leading roles as we could. And then I think Ethiopia is the one, I suppose, that's a bit outside that because with Ethiopia, we there was no formal uh, role uh, for the for for the council in relation to Ethiopia. It's not a formal item on the agenda. So the way that we ended up sort of leading, I guess, and pen holding in a way on Ethiopia was very much an organic process. When we came onto the council in January 2021, we were already extremely concerned about the situation in in Ethiopia. We were in touch all the time with our embassy there, but also with many many other counterparts, UN agencies, other other partners um, and we felt that the council needed to get involved and needed to really focus on this issue and there wasn't enough focus on it so we simply sort of um, ourselves just brought that issue to the council and um, led the led the conversations with other council members about our concern and tried to make sure that it was something that was um, being discussed at the council and so on so that one more came about organically I would say and interestingly towards the end of our term in the last couple of months I think the African Union has very much stepped up their engagement on that and um, they brokered a successful peace agreement and so now what you see is that it's actually the African members on the council who are leading on it now and um, so we sort of I would say led on it in a way for about 18 months but I think and now it's the A3 the three African um, partners on the council who in the last two or three meetings that have been called they have called it they have um, they have been the ones who are drafting um, potential press statements or statements by the council uh, they've been the ones who've led the discussions and who, who, who have and pull the council together, I guess, on the issue. So I think that that's a, a natural progression in a way. Um, uh, so, so that's that's a, a slightly different way, I guess, of taking a leadership role. You've spoken of of taking on very those various files. Um, for example, the the Syria humanitarian file. Um, so I'm just wondering how how did the team at headquarters raise the profile of certain crisis situations which were arising or or unfolding on the council? Um, I mean, I think. I guess in terms of part of it is about raising the profile, I suppose, and that maybe is maybe something that you try and do more with media and with with public stakeholders, with the Oireachtas and so on. And that's very much just by talking about things, by doing them, by trying to progress them, by trying to explain them to people. I think on Syria is a good example. The minister went twice to that border crossing and sat with the people who are 
dealing with this day to day. We couldn't go into Syria, obviously, but the Syrian NGOs working on that side of the border came across the border, talked to us about what the issues were, talked to us about what was at stake. Um, the minister met, obviously, with the local and regional government in the area, with all of the UN agencies that are operating the cross-border um, humanitarian um, operation, and then also with the Turkish uh, government as well. So part of it, I think, is, is having conversations at the most senior level, and through those conversations, you begin to bring profile and you begin to bring sort of media attention and, and attention from, from other stakeholders. Um, and part of it then, I think, is just within the council, I think also, uh, and in New York, the team in New York is again, just, just working on it, talking to people about it, engaging with people about it. Our team in New York, for instance, made sure that all of the elected members on the council, some of who, who would be already very engaged on the Syria file, some less so, had the opportunity every month to meet with different um, NGOs or civil society partners or, or UN partners who were actually working on a day-to-day -day basis on the issue to try and explain what's at stake what's necessary in this resolution, what would be helpful, what would be unhelpful, and so on. So I think it's just a multi-vector multi um, way of working and just trying to work out who are the people who can influence, who can impact, who we need to convince, who we need to persuade, who we need to explain to, and doing that you know, through Elizabeth's team as a sort of central coordinating part of the department that's doing it, but different people actually doing the work, not just in New York and in, in, in HQ, but our colleagues in the embassy and, in Ankara, colleagues in the embassy in, in, in Cairo, uh, in Amman, talking in Washington, talking in, in, in Paris. Um, so it really very much is a sort of a multi-stakeholder a multi type approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and just speaking of the important role of NGOs and civil society partners, Elizabeth, could you tell us um, how, how headquarters integrated the work of civil society partners and fed that into the work of the council? Sure, thanks Leanne. Um, yeah, I think we started from the basis that engagement with NGOs and civil society more broadly is uh, really important. So I'd say that's been actually a crucial part of our work on the Council. Um, so there was a lot of engagement even in advance of us taking up our seat on the Council. Um, there were discussions back and forth with various groups and you know a certain amount of kind of development of further expertise knowledge, understanding, and so on, so that by the time we came onto the Council, we were very well informed on all of those many agenda items that we've we've mentioned earlier, uh, both on the regional and the thematic side, and, you know, very much aware, uh, including from the NGOs, of course, we have our missions on the ground in a lot of the places, are accredited to the countries, and reports coming in from other channels as well, but really important to have that direct kind of uh, on-the-ground concrete information from, from the NGOs as well. So that has continued um, on an ongoing basis uh, over the past two years. Um, uh, as you know, the, uh, the Security Council Stakeholder Forum was facilitated by the IIEA um, itself, and we've met with the forum about every three months or so, sometimes a little bit more often than that. Uh, I think that's been a really invaluable forum. Uh, the composition of the group was carefully thought through in advance and it's worked extremely well. Each of the engagements has been very much a two-way exchange, you know, a kind of an update from our side and what's happening on the council and kind of an explanation of um, 
you know, behind the scenes as well and what's really going on, very open exchanges, I think, and then a lot of very valuable input from the perspective of, of the NGOs and questions and suggestions and so on as well. Um, and then there's been a number of other kind of um, standing groups of, of NGOs, you know, the pre, pre-existed um, are, you know, they were in existence prior to, to our taking up our role on the, on the Security Council, some of them more with the human rights focus, um, you know, some more with the humanitarian focus, but very important to get all of those perspectives in. So we've had all of those regular meetings through the stakeholder forum with a number of other NGO groups as well, um, kind of across the board on all of the issues, obviously, NGOs are, uh, and the Irish NGOs are particularly interested in uh, what's happening in the areas where they have people and operations on the ground. So those are often the ones that are of the most direct um, relevance. Uh, I'd just pick out one area maybe where the engagement has been particularly useful, um, and that's on a bit of work that we're doing at the moment um, on humanitarian sanctions resolution. So this is a resolution that we've kind of wanted to do for a long time and I know um, the NGOs would be very very keen to see this happen uh, it would it's basically to try to create a humanitarian carvage from UN sanctions regimes that would apply across the board so there are currently carve-outs in three existing sanctions um, but this would be one that would apply to um, all of them um, so we're actually working with the US as co-pen holders on this draft resolution even as we speak work is going on intensive work is going on on it um, if we do manage to get it across the line it would be you know a fantastic achievement I think it could really change the discourse on sanctions and allow the council you know to focus on using sanctions to maintain peace and security and to counteract terrorism as well but ensuring at the same time that humanitarian actors can continue their work um, and that that's not hindered by um, the unintended consequences of, of, of sanctions in some of the most uh, difficult places where they're operating. So we've had a lot of engagement with NGOs on that kind of both before we started the work on the resolution and since we've started the work on the resolution as well. And that's been really, really um, helpful. Absolutely. Um, such an, an important initiative. Um, so on that note, um, thank you very much for joining us today. On behalf of the IIEA, I would also like to congratulate you both and, of course, the wider team in the department on the fantastic work that Ireland has not only engaged in, but also been a leader of um, as an elected member of the Security Council. It's quite clear that Ireland has had many wide ranging uh, achievements and will certainly have a lasting impact on the work of the Security Council. So thank you very much. If you'd like to learn more about the Global Europe Project or listen back to other podcasts in the Global Europe podcast series, you can check out our website or social media. This interview series is brought to you by the IIEA as part of our Global Europe Project.